Games you deserve. Welcome to Games You Deserve, brought to you by Special Reserve Games. This week we talk to Kurt Gartner, who makes video game trailers for a living. Plus, Eric and I discuss our favorite puzzle games, and I count down my top five last-minute gaming-related Halloween costumes. online and I found this this smart plug uh and I, and I and it arrived today and you know it's one of these things where like you you plug it into the wall and then you you plug something into it something you know that isn't smart on its own like not a smart switch or something but just you know like a dumb little light bulb or something like that and dumb and, light yeah yeah a dumb light exactly <laughs> I need I, I got some smart lights and I have a dumb light and I need to make the dumb light smart so you know, I get this thing and I plug it in the wall and you plug the light in and then you're supposed to be able to, you know, use your phone or your voice and tell the Google thing, hey, turn the, turn whatever thing on and off. And so I get it and uh, I can't get the darn thing to connect to my Wi-Fi for some reason. You know, it's, it's not supposed to be that hard. It's got a little phone app and, you know, you run through the little options to add it in there and uh, for whatever reason it can't connect. And, you know, I was thinking to myself, I've never before had uh, an item with the word smart in it make me feel so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the item is supposed to be smart, not you. Yeah. I I called support. Like I was, I I knew I needed to jump on this podcast and I've been trying, I was hurrying up and I'd called support and I was like sitting on on the phone in their hold queue for like 20 minutes and that wasn't working the whole time i'm like trying different things i'm rebooting my phone i'm or, or not my phone uh uh the the app you know i'm like ending the app trying to reinstall the app while i'm sitting there on hold i'm trying all kinds of stuff uh you know and, and nothing's working eventually i hung up from them i did reboot my phone at some point just to try that that didn't work yeah it's 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 like a puzzle, you know, it's like, I can't solve this thing just yet. And it was thinking, I was thinking because of having to hop on here, I was like, man, this reminds me of like puzzle games. Like you got to solve this thing. It's a Rubik's cube or something that I've got to solve before it'll let me use it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what's going on with that. So, so you, so like, like any other good puzzle game, you need to take a break. So put it down, walk away from it. Yeah, you're right. I do. I do. I'm putting it down. Yeah. I'm not I'm not going to pick it up again for at least another five to ten minutes. Okay, uh, sounds good. <laughs> because like a puzzle game, you keep thinking about it. Even if you put it down, you'll keep oh, thinking about it. Gosh. No, I know. Yeah, exactly. You aren't kidding. I mean, I, I, and I actually, I'm a big fan of puzzle games. I love puzzle games. You know, it, if we talk about puzzle games, of course, the biggest of all time, Tetris. Yeah. You know it's it's such a classic everybody's played it from you know little kids uh people our age grew up with it and you know even 80 year old grandmas have played it because geez i i mean when when that thing came out you know 
they either their kid or their their grandkid grabbed their Game Boy, handed it over, and Grandma's over there in the corner just going at this thing because it's so addictive. Yeah, you know. And it was the also Tetraminos falling down the screen. That's right. Yeah, Tetraminos. Um, and and it was uh, it was like the first kind of super popular puzzle game on. I, I know it was on the Game Boy first, but it did come to the uh, Nintendo after that. Um, but it, because it was so simple, it was also one of the first games you got on your cell phone, right? Back when we still had pretty basic oh, cell course. phones that couldn't do much for games. It was this and Minesweeper, another another good puzzle game. But, um, but yeah. Snake. Snake. Snake, yes. I don't want to forget Snake. Yes, that's Everybody right. Everybody knows Snake. Yeah, those were the games. Yeah. That's what we had on our phones back in the day, guys. You, you have no idea yeah. what it was like, those who were too young to remember. Um, no, but, you know, it's a classic, <laughs> and, and, and it's still a classic to this day, you know, but I, I still pick up Tetris. Heck, I oh, sure. I, I I play Tetris every once in a while. You know, I've got a Game Boy Advance with you know a, a Tetris card in there, and just play Tetris. You know, because it's timeless. You mentioned uh, a few episodes ago. You mentioned Tetris ninety nine on um, on uh, Nintendo Online, right? The uh, yeah on the game where you on play you play against yeah. each other kind of thing. So that's that's really cool. It's a great game. It never gets old. It's always different every time you play it. It's a new challenge. And that's what makes it uh, timeless, for sure. Tetris came out, and that kind of blew all our minds as, as to what kind of game. Like, we'd never really seen a game like that before. Then we saw a whole lot of games like that after that, right? And a lot of every, <laughs> everybody kind of wanted to jump on the Tetris bandwagon and, and figure out a different way to make the same thing happen. And one of the best ones, I think, was was Dr. Mario. I almost said Paper Mario. Uh, Dr. Mario was... Also a good uh, game, but not the same. Not, not the same <laughs> kind of game. Um, Dr. Mario, to me, was it was Nintendo's version of Tetris, right? When it came out, mm-hmm. I remember going to my friend's place. Again, I didn't have Nintendo, but my friend had... I had the Genesis. My friend had the Nintendo. So we used to, like basically just go to his place and play Nintendo uh, because nobody wanted to play hey. Genesis with me. No, um, yeah. no, but uh, yeah, you go to my friend's place and play Dr. Mario and I'm like, this is just like Tetris except it's pills instead of the shapes. And and yeah, there are some key differences. It's not exactly the same, but it's very much a similar mechanic. But they still managed to work in the awesome Nintendo like the Mario branding, the idea that it's these little viruses and everything kind of in the screen. You have to kill them with the... Um, the pills and matching up the colors and stuff. So still a ton of fun. How, how many jobs do you think Mario's had? Oh, geez. He's, I mean, <laughs> someone's got a, I'm sure someone's counted it up, but he's been, he's been a lot. He's like Homer Simpson in that right way. He's been a lot of different things yeah. and we're not, we're okay with that. Like Mario can be whatever he wants. Even in Odyssey, look how many different hats and uniforms he gets in Odyssey, right? He can, be, he can be a million different things. I think there's even, isn't there even a Dr. Mario throwback out? I'm sure there is. There, yeah. Which is, that's great. That's great. Yeah. They got all kinds of great stuff. Along the lines of those kind of Tetris like games. Uh, I, I know of one that I played that I got into in the arcade back in the mid 90s and it, it's this super obscure game the developer's name is Sibu Kaihatsu and it's called Battle Balls I, I know <laughs> I know I know Battle Balls but that's that's the name of the game and and the three balls are kind of in a tri- they're clumped together in a triangle shape and you spin them on their center axis and, and kind of align them to the bottom of the pit, you know, just like any other uh, good Tetris-like game. It's just a falling pit, you know, where everything is dropping into, and you got to match stuff up. The cool thing was is because of the mechanics of this, and them being, you know, spheres or balls. Uh, as they land on the pieces, they will kind of roll down one side or the other. So you had to kind of stagger them in the different colors. And you know, there were different mechanics, like what would happen when. 
uh, junk would fall on the screen. You know, like a lot of the games add junk to the screen. And Dr. Mario was extra viruses and other pieces. You know, in, in Tetris, it was just random squares on the screen that you had to clear. Well, in this one, what they would do is the, the ball was encapsulating like a color. And so they would drop empty ones down that would swallow up your ball. And you'd have to uh, kind of match colors up to remove that coating before you could match those up. It was a really cool game. But, you know, I kind of found this game in the dark corner of an arcade one day. Nobody was playing it, and I just tried it out. And I was like, wow, this is this is great. And I think that I was the sole reason that that arcade machine was kept alive at that place because nobody else was ever playing it. I'd show up, and nobody was on it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's a great way to discover games. I, I, a lot of my uh, um, arcade game choices were made uh, based on the fact that nobody else would play a game so if it was something in the corner just sitting there I would try it just to see because um, you those are where you find the hidden gems right and also uh, the other thing was of course if uh, if it cost a quarter I would play it as opposed to like as we got older and as the arcades needed to make more money games started costing more 50 cents a dollar two dollars or whatever to play so if it would cost a quarter I'd play it and that sounds like one of those games that probably just cost a quarter <laughs> no 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 I hate this overpriced I'm thinking of Bubble Bobble. That was a pretty big arcade game that I remember, but there was a puzzle version of that, was there not? That's right. It was called Puzzle Bobble. Same characters. So you had okay. Bub and Bob were the guys from Bubble Bobble. <laughs> the lizards? Is, you know, clearly. The, I don't know what they are. I, I, like drag, little dragon. Okay, I don't yeah. know what they are, you know, to be honest. But, but uh, you know, they, they were down at the bottom of the screen directing this little arm that would shoot the bubbles up to the puzzle. And, of course, again, it's a color match game. So you just shoot it up to wherever it's going to match something. And then those would pop. And the idea on that one was to make them all disappear before the screen kind of crushed everybody and, and came down. So a little new spin on the Tetris kind of thing, a little different and uh, really enjoyable. Uh, I think that they have released uh, just recently this year, the fourth one or something like that to the switch and some other platforms. So really great that that series is still going. I still play puzzle bobble every once in a while. And interesting fact uh, Puzzle Bobble was both a dedicated arcade board and a Neo Geo game. So you could find it either in its own dedicated cabinet or in one of the Neo Geo multi-game cabinets. I love where those things. I love those between things. two or four or whatever. Yeah, that or Samurai Showdown, right? You could just choose which one you want. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> think of how different those two games are. And yeah, I mean, one arcade machine to rule them all, right? So it, really cool idea. Um but again, these these are like classic puzzle games. People, you know, when you think puzzle game, this is the kind of things that you think. Pretty much, yeah. But there's another way to look at this. Yeah, there's another way to look at this. Think of games like Portal or Portal 2, the Portal series. You are immersed a little bit into this. The player is a part of the puzzle, and you've got to figure out your way through each of these levels with your portal gun. Where do I shoot this thing? Where do I shoot the other half? How do I get from A to B, right? And it's, it is in itself a puzzle, that type of yeah. thing. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I, I missed the whole portal thing. I never did end up wa uh, playing it. Uh, I know that I've heard very good things, and I see, see lots no, of No, no, wait a minute here. <laughs> Well, now, wait a minute here. Now, that, 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 we're going to have to cease the podcast right now because we're going to have to get you to play the Portal games. All right, I'm going to go play it right now. You. No, I, I I, mean, obviously it's something that I wish I'd, I'd played back when it was first coming out. Um, but 
Uh, and I see lots of great cosplay at conventions when I went back when I used to go to conventions. I see some great yes. portal costumes and, and that yes. gun is very iconic, the, the portal gun. Uh, I would recognize it anywhere, even though I've never played the game. But yeah, I just never never got around to it, unfortunately. Yeah, just just know that the games are timeless. Honestly, Portal 2 is probably one of the greatest games ever made. Really? And I highly recommend playing the series. The first one won't take you very long. You hop in for a couple of sessions and you're done. And uh, you'll you'll get a real good feel as to how that works. But the second one takes and wraps that around, like has a story built into this and introduces new characters and really takes that to another level. So I, I cannot recommend Portal and Portal 2 enough. Well, I will definitely play that then. Kind of in the same line of, of or the same time frame of that was another great puzzle game. Very weird and wacky it's called the stanley parable uh it's from galactic cafe came out in 2013 i don't know how to best describe this other than you know you're stanley and you're dealing with life and strange things are happening Uh oh and you have to kind of listening listen to the narration and and figure these odd puzzles out along the way as you go but it's not a puzzle in a traditional sense. So really, really incredible experience. Uh, I recommend people play that game. And there is kind of this really cool achievement. There's an easy way and a hard way to get this thing. Basically, the idea is you, you put the game down and you don't play it for a number of years. And then you come back and play it. But I'll I'll give away the secret. You can just take your... You can get out of the game. You can move your Windows clock forward that many years... And then log into the game, and you'll get the achievement, and then you can set your clock back to normal. Wait, wait, wait. wait. The, the, the achievement is that they want you to actually wait years and then come back on? Yes, years. <laughs> yes. And you'll it's, it's a legit thing. And some people actually did get the achievement by doing it that way. But most people just use the clock cheat because it's kind of funny and ridiculous that that is an achievement. It, well, I think it's awesome that that's an achievement. That's really showing that they're thinking outside the box there and trying to come up with different things to do. And hey, once you if you pick it up after a couple of years, maybe you'll just play through it again. Maybe it'll renew your interest in the game or something like that. That's kind of a neat, uh, a neat thing. I think so. I think so. You know, we talk about puzzle games, though. There's there's all kinds, right? And uh, many games have puzzle elements. Uh, you know, I was thinking about the dungeons in Zelda. Yeah. That, they are in many ways puzzles themselves, you know, that alone. Or even the, the Dash 4 levels in Super Mario Brothers when you're trying to figure out what path to go through without looping back around. You know, that's a puzzle. It's a oh, yeah. it's a basic element that's contained in many, many games. Yeah, and, and it just adds that next level of gameplay, I think. When you encounter a puzzle, you're like, okay, now I have to do this. You sit down, you, you try and figure it out. Uh, it was very much like that for the the um, for Breath of the Wild. All of those shrines, uh, well, not all of them. Some of them you just get the thing without... Usually there's something you have to do before, but uh, any of the shrines that have like the intricate puzzles, that was like a challenge. And I very much, I pride myself on not Googling anything. Uh, these days, of course, you can look up the solutions, <laughs> uh, but I really like, I wanted to get all those shrines and do it myself without uh, looking up solutions. And I did, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and you get rewarded uh, well when you complete all the shrines in, uh, in Breath of the Wild to get the nice uh, original uh, tunic, Breath of the, or the Wild, Tunic of the Wild or something it's called, I can't remember. Yeah. You get this outfit. Yeah. 
It's cool. There's a lot of games though that have that. You know, they oh, have yeah. the different puzzle elements. So. Yeah. And and one thing I was just kind of going back to the nineties for a second, uh one of the first kind of I, I guess I would call it a first person puzzle game, what that I played was Riven, uh, which was uh, oh, yeah. actually a, a sequel. sequel. Yeah, sequel to Mist. Mist was a really popular PC game, and I never played it. I didn't have a PC back then, so I never played uh, PC games. But Riven was ported to the PlayStation, and maybe Mist was as well. I don't know. I never did end up playing Mist on the. I did play Mist on the PC later on, but Riven again. I took it out of. Um, I was working at Blockbuster Video late '90s. Took it out, <laughs> brought it home. Five discs it had. Five discs. It was a giant case. And you basically have to switch out the discs every time when you get to a certain point or whatever. Um, and I, I played through the whole thing. I did it all in, on one weekend. I just That's all I did for that weekend. It was a ton of fun. Such a good game. There's a bunch of mind-bending puzzles in that whole series, in, yeah. in the Myst series. I, the original game itself was was definitely a mind-bender. Riven was great. Uru was great. I mean, there's just a oh, ton never played Uru. of... Yeah, there's there's just a ton of different puzzles throughout that that will really really rack your brain, and some of them are just you you kind of look back and you wonder how in the world did I solve that, that particular <laughs> puzzle? I have no idea. You know, I couldn't go back and repeat that like now. I'd have to go start from the beginning and whatnot. But you know, as far as puzzle games are concerned, we've got one coming out here in November that's got some puzzle elements too, right? Piku Niku. Yeah, absolutely. Such a fun game. A lot of uh. Uh, it's like an adventure style game. You're on a quest to, to uh, complete some goals and you, there's puzzles along the way and it's just a ton of fun. The art style is awesome. The uh, I just it's just my kids love it too. My kids love playing the game. Yeah, it's really cool. I love the little little character and the physics with the him running around with those legs and yep. stretching and you know kicking and all that kind of thing. It's it's great. I I, I think Piku Niku is going to be a whole like a lot of fun for people. And I bet you that Piku Niku never had to deal with a smart plug. <laughs> to welcome Kurt Gartner to the podcast. Kurt doesn't necessarily have an official title. Uh, tell us what you do, Kurt. Uh, I make indie game trailers. I sit in my basement and I have the most wonderful job in the world. <laughs> Just, you know, cranking it's, it's, this stuff out. It does sound pretty awesome, including quite a few for Devolver. Correct. Um, you've made, uh, and I'm just looking at a screenshot here from a presentation that you gave, uh, I believe it was last year, and you showed kind of a um, montage of all these different games that you've done trailers for so among them i i see here my friend pedro uh which is everyone's favorite game about a banana um <laughs> i see here uh, i'm just kind of what i'm doing actually i'm, I'm picking out the special reserve games titles crossing souls yep. uh, you did a tra trailer for crossing souls minute um what else I'm not seeing any other ones here. You guys did Ruiner, didn't you? I think I'm. Yes, Ruiner, correct. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's Ruiner. I think That's I might right. have done a Ruiner, Ruiner one. Yeah, I can't remember. It's all such a blur. The last 10 years have been a blur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how did you get into this? Well, it's it's. I'll give you the short version of the story. But basically, uh, there was a bunch of friends uh, that I, I met here in Winnipeg. I was in the visual effects industry in Winnipeg. There's a company called Frantic Films, and they did special effects for movies. And I did that for almost a decade. 
And basically, I was looking to get out. It's a, it's a really, really rough industry with like a lot of long hours. And I, you know, at that point, I was reaching 30. And I was like, you know, I want to have kids eventually. And I just got married and everything. And so it's like, you know, this lifestyle isn't isn't very compatible. <laughs> so anyway, basically, long story short, I, I bounced around a couple places after I quit the VFX industry and met a bunch of indie game developers here in, in Winnipeg. And we made this uh, arcade cabinet called the Winitron 1000. And basically, it played uh, independent video games from Winnipeg and around the world. And 10 years ago, I mean, the indie game scene was an incredibly different thing than it is now. And it was much smaller and much more, uh, I would say, scrappy in a, in a certain way. And so basically, like this, uh, we made this indie game arcade cabinet. And it, back then, there was this game called Cannibalt. And it was a really, really big hit on uh, iOS when the iPhones were, you know, just starting to uh, release games on the App Store and stuff. And so we got a special two-player build of this game to put on the Winitron. And one of our friends was just like, hey, we should make a trailer for this. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. I could do that. And they were like, what if we took, like, the character from Cannibal and had him running across the rooftops of Winnipeg? And I was like, wow, I can do that. So I got all the files from Adam Saltzman, who made the game. And over the course of about, like, 18 hours, you know, we went out and we shot all these plates of downtown Winnipeg. It was, like, minus 25 when we did it. And I composited the character in there, and I whipped out this quick little trailer. And it was basically taking that decade's worth of VFX experience and kind of distilling it down to like one day you know mm -hmm. and so we made this trailer it came out and we just sort of sent it to a couple sites we sent it to kataku and a few other places and it got some traction and what ended up happening was that nobody had really seen like uh, a trailer for such a small like indie game have such good sort of like visual effects or things like that in it right and so it started to make the rounds in the indie game scene at that time. And so basically then another, we did another one for a Super Crate Box 2 player, um, which was done by Vlambeer, like JW and Rami. And so then I started to meet those guys. And then the snowball just kind of started growing. And then after about a year or two, um, I think I finally, or maybe it was even sooner than that, um, I met Nigel uh, from Devolver at a GDC. We just met in a hallway really, really briefly for like 10 minutes. And he's like, hey, we've got this game called uh, Cocaine Cowboy that's coming out, which then would be Hotline Miami. Right. And he was like, we're going to need some videos for that. Uh, what do you think? And I'm like, sure, let's give this a go. <laughs> and uh, it's been working out ever since. So I've been working with Devolver for almost 10 years now. Yeah, that's another uh, SRG title, actually. We did Hotline Miami uh, earlier this year. Huge hit. People just love that game. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, like, it, it did a whole bunch of things extremely well, you know, and it was the perfect game at the perfect time, and it just it did gangbusters. And, I mean, that's really the game that set Devolver on its path that it's, you know, continued on to today. So, you know, Nigel and the whole team is just the... He has a way of picking them, you know, and I've, I've been saying that every single time. Like, I remember I'll play some of these games that are in development that he sends, like, Enter the Gungeon was one. Mm -hmm. He sent me a build of it, and I played it. You know, this was, like, pre-alpha. I was like, yeah, this is all right. And then again, this is another one. Boom, it just explodes. It's like Di Nigel has such a good eye for, for those games to be able to pick the ones that are going to do super, super well. And so it, it's really, really neat. It's been amazing to be, in, be involved with uh, the whole team there and just be part of this whole process. Have you always been interested in video games? Oh, God, yeah. I wish I had my webcam working. You could see what's behind me right now. No, I'm like a huge... <laughs> no, like I was like an NES kid. You know, I've been a Nintendo kid since like Nintendo. You know, the original okay. NES, yeah. 
my whole like I, I should wish I wish I could get my webcam working yeah because yeah as I've got I've got I've bought the Nintendo Lego I got this stuff I've got like my whole desk is just cluttered with things yeah I'm I'm a huge video game nerd it's like I've I've been into this stuff since the very beginning and like this it's funny because it's when I you know was a kid I always wanted to like there's two dream jobs I always wanted. One was to work at Nintendo, and one was to work at ILM, like Industrial Light and Magic, doing special effects yeah. for movies, you know. And so working at Frana Films here in Winnipeg, you know, for almost a decade, I feel like I got a little bit of that, you know, it was enough to, like, mm -hmm. satisfy that itch. And now that I've been able to do this, you know, uh, and make video game trailers, I feel like it's, like the, it's, it's better than working for Nintendo, honestly. Because it's like, I don't want to work for, I can't work in a giant corporation ever again. I think Devolver has ruined me on that. <laughs> So this is like, it's the perfect balance, you know, and I couldn't be happier. It's, it's wonderful. I'm very, very fortunate. What is the process for you when you, uh, when you start a project? How do you go about deciding how to create the trailer? Well, it's, it's really different. That's kind of what's neat about it. Every game is different and every developer has a different approach that they want to take. And sometimes, you know, it's dictated by like the marketing that Nigel and like the whole team has already kind of set out. Sometimes it's just like, we have no idea what we want and I just get a free slate and we get to go from there. Um, oftentimes like the Dropsy trailer was a really, really great like collaboration. Like Jay basically made a custom song for the trailer and we edited the visuals to that song and i mean that one was it, that one is still near and dear to my heart i love that trailer so much and i love that game too it's super good um but yeah i mean there it's it, it can usually the first thing that i do is i i comb through the soundtrack you know just to see how the game sounds and how if see if there's a good track there that feels like it's a good trailer track and then I kind of go through the game and go through all the gameplay and sort of see, well, what would fit here and what sort of mood? What are we trying to convey? Is this a teaser trailer? Is this like a date announcement trailer? Is this a launch trailer? All of those things are treated differently uh, depending on, you know, when the game's coming out, like how many trailers are we going to have over the course of the, the marketing campaign for this game? It, 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 everyone is different. And that's kind of what keeps it exciting and interesting. Oh, for sure. Uh, um, how do you decide that? Like, that's kind of an overall decision as far as like we're going to release three trailers over the course of several months kind of a thing? Is that usually what happens? Yeah, usually the, the way that uh, we do it with Devolver is like, you know, there's an announced trailer and then there's usually like uh, at least one or two sort of like gameplay trailers. And usually one of those will be like the date announced trailer. So sorry, the first one is like a teaser trailer. The second one would be like the release date announcement. And then there's usually like a launch trailer. And what we've been doing lately is either like the launch trailer or maybe like the teaser trailer will be like an animated trailer. And there's a couple of different companies that we've been working with that have just been absolutely knocking it out of the park with these animated trailers. Like, I don't know if you saw the carry on uh, uh, launch trailer, but holy smokes, like mm -hmm. that one was incredible. And the guys that did the audio design work on that, it's it's probably one of the best looking and sounding trailers I think that they've ever done. It's really, really good. For for an amazing game. I mean oh my that's God, that's yeah. another game that just is just knocks it out. Like it's just so unique and, and fun. Uh I just played that for hours. Um, and, and the other one I wanted to mention was Crossing Souls, because that one, now you seem like, I'm not sure of your age, but you seem like a, a child of the 80s and 90s. Oh, yes, you, you assume correctly. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and so Crossing Souls is something that was probably right up your alley. Yeah, it is. You know, it's funny because I didn't get to play that one as much as I wanted to, but I loved everything about it. And that's another one of those situations where we had a bunch of different kinds of trailers. I'm, there's a guy, um, uh, Don Thacker, who runs a studio called Images Studios. And he shot this 
incredible live action trailer for that game. And he did, there's like a scene in the trailer where there's like a ghost that appears in the trailer and he wanted to do it only using the tech that was available in the eighties. And so he did like a Pepper's ghost effect. Like, I don't want to get like, it's using mirrors and stuff like that. And you're shooting into a mirror. And anyway, it, to make this ghost appear, he does, he didn't want to do any compositing. And I was just like, Don, you are amazing. It's just like, <laughs> so that, that didn't exist back then. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. He just, he wanted everything to feel in period and it worked out super well. A band of friends who uncover a mysterious stone with a unique power and set out on an adventure that will pull them between life and death. A new world to explore with new rules to understand. You've also been a character in a video game. <laughs> yeah, I, I have been. So I won't give the, the whole whole 20 minute talk on this, but basically uh, what ended up happening is uh, Jay Tholen, who made Dropsy the Clown, um, he was working on his next game and his next game was named Hypnospace Outlaw. And it was basically like, uh, it, it's sort of like a fake 90s internet that you explore and you have to kind of like look for like fake copyrighted information i think i'm giving a really really bad explanation of what this game actually is <laughs> but anyway that that's kind of the gist of it right but i had known jay since the since dropsy and i was friends with him on facebook and he put this post out where he was like hey do you have any like photos of yourself from like the 90s that we could use for this game and i'm like oh my god yeah so i had all these old pictures when I used to be like an IT guy, like I did system administration for uh, a company called Farm Business Communications. We made magazines for farmers of all things. And so anyway, I had all these pictures, like, no, I shouldn't say all these pictures. I had a handful of pictures of me just surrounded by stacks of old Macintosh computers and stuff. So I sent these all to Jay. And, you know, a couple months goes by and he's like, hey, do you have any more stuff? And so I sent him some more. And then anyway, he sends me like this email and some screenshots. And he's like, dude, I made you like the lead character in this video game. And my name is Dylan in the video game. And, and it's it's incredible. So basically, it's like me just like dithered down to like four colored palette like they had like in the 90s and stuff. And I, um, I'm basically like the, the creative guy that creates hypnospace in this fake 90s internet like world and it's incredible what ended up happening is people were making like fan art and stuff of this character because they loved it so much and so i was getting fan art of this character dylan but dylan was really me from 20 years ago and so, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's it was incredible like it was this really neat feeling it's got to be the hair though i think that the hair was a big part of it you had this big kind of Fro going on. Yeah, my nickname was Fro for the first 20 years of my life. <laughs> it is all <laughs> gone now. Makes, yeah, <laughs> That's what makes the character, though. I think that's part of what makes that character is that you just, you just got that big uh, head of hair, and then that, that comes out in the fan art, and it's just a very cool kind of uh, phenomenon. And that happens for almost every indie game out there, right? Every uh, game kind of builds a fan base and people who love it and create fan art. What has changed? You've been working in this industry for, for 10 years now. What has changed in the indie game scene? You said it used to be a lot more, um, I can't remember the word you used, but scrappy, I guess was the was the word. Um, what has changed in the last 10 years? Oof, what hasn't changed in the last 10 years? <laughs> well, okay. That's probably That's a question. Yeah, it's probably easier to put it that way. I mean, like... It, it, it's a lot harder, obviously, now. I, I think it's it's much, much harder for people to get noticed because the volume is just 
insane. And the quality is just insane. I mean, like, it, it seems like every week or two weeks, there's just, you know, four or five really high-profile indie games that look like a million bucks. I mean, like, these, you know, sometimes smaller teams. Well, that's the other thing. I think there's there's fewer games that are made by extremely small teams. Now, it seems like all of those games that were made by teams of two to three people, now there's, like, small studios of, like, you know, three or four core people with like a team of freelancers supporting them, you know? And so it's like the games are getting bigger. The games are getting more beautiful and incredibly amazing to look at. And it's just, it's harder to wade through the amount of volume that's coming out there. So I, I really feel for indie developers trying to make it like, especially now because it's, it's really, really difficult and you got to have something that's extremely special and the timing's got to be right. And a lot of this stuff is, is luck. I mean, like you can try as hard as you want in some cases, and sometimes amazing games, they just don't break through for whatever reason. And it, it's really tough. It's really, really hard. And now you look at things like Xbox and what they're, or Microsoft rather, and what they're trying to do with Game Pass, and it seems like they're trying to take the first stab at like the Netflix for games, right? And what does that mean for small independent creators? You know, how, how are you going to make a living in that sort of environment. I mean, like everybody knows like artists make zero on Spotify and things in streaming services like that. And I hope that isn't what happens with indie games, but I don't know. I don't I don't know where it's going to go. It, it's really, really interesting. I mean, this it's crazy to think that 10 years ago things were so different, you know, and how, where it is now. I can't even begin to think where it's going to be in another 10. Who knows? Yeah, and, and I, I don't know the financial model of how Game Pass works. Um, I do have Game Pass, and I I do find a lot of games that way. Like if I just go, hey, what's available on the Game Pass? And I, I go on there and see. And there are a few Devolver titles. I believe Enter the Gungeon's on there yeah. and Minute and a few other. Uh, Carry On Carry On is on there as well. Yeah. Um, so that's a good way to discover games. But yeah, I hope that the uh, the uh, creators are getting paid properly for that. Yeah, I, I don't know the, the, the ins and outs of all of it either. But I mean, it's it's sort of like this trend towards not putting money down for one thing it's sort of like you know right. you're you're paying a monthly subscription for everything and right. how does that trickle down to the actual people that are making the game i mean for triple a studios i mean obviously they're going to be fine microsoft is buying them all <laughs> right <laughs> but i mean that's going to pull in a certain audience and i mean like niche indie games you know or smaller games that don't pull in you know hundreds of millions of dollars you know, where does that leave those people? And I, I don't know what the answer to that is. And maybe, you know, think there may be things like Steam, or I don't think Steam's ever going to be going anywhere, but it's still a great platform for this stuff, you know, and as long as indie developers are able to work, you know, I think with publishers like Devolver and sort of get the games out there and get the eyeballs on it, they'll be okay. You know, hopefully it can, continues in that direction. What's the what's the biggest challenge as far as making a game trailer? Like, what are you trying to do? You're obviously trying to, trying to grab the attention of anybody, right? But but what are you what are you looking at uh, as far as do, how do you do that? How do you grab people's attention with a game trailer? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to the specific game too. I mean, like the like there's one thing I always say. It's like if you have like a gifable game, you know, a game that you can see a three second clip of and immediately be intrigued by it. That's that's a great sign, right? And so you're always looking for the hook and 
what is going what looks visually interesting and either there's like a cool mechanic or there's this cool story element something that's just visually different that's gonna grab the viewer right and when you're putting the whole trailer together i mean it's it has to be entertaining it can't be boring to watch i mean you're inundated by a feed of a billion things you know scrolling through your twitter timeline or facebook or reddit or instagram or whatever it is so it's got to jump out and catch you immediately so there's got to be some sort of hook that you can find in that game that'll grab people's attention immediately and when you're putting it together, you know, it has to be entertaining, it has to be engaging, and, you, and eventually you have to sort of explain what this game is through the gameplay and through the editing of the trailer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it different from, I, I, have you ever done any movie trailers or anything like that? Or oh, is that no. <laughs> I would not want to do, movie trailers are a whole other thing, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's quite different from a movie trailer, right? It's very different. There's like a lot of different things, because in a movie trailer, you're working with, like, you're working with a set amount of footage, Right. Usually they're not going to film specific scenes for a trailer, but for a video, yeah, for a <laughs> Star Wars. Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think about the the, the Rogue One of your Star Wars film, but the Rogue One trailer had this shot of this Tie Fighter at the top of this tower, and that was never in the movie. Oh yeah, they, you know they, why? They, so that I could go off on a tirade, not a tirade, but the whole ahead. reason that that's not in there is they changed the entire third act of the movie. And yeah. it got whole, whole completely rewritten. They had to redo all the visual effects. But things like that happen all the time. That shot wasn't yeah. specific for the trailers just because they changed okay. the entire third act. Yeah. <laughs> so th- that's another reason. Like, I spent a decade in film and I'll never want to go back. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. They are requesting a call sign. It's um, Rogue. Rogue One. When you talk about gameplay uh, or video game trailers, I mean, you are like the person capturing the gameplay is the actor. You know, in a game like Carry On, like, you are performing that monster. You're not just capturing random gameplay. You have to move that character in a very specific way in each shot to really convey a certain amount of emotion. You know, and so not only are you playing the game, you're also acting the game, right? Like, you, the character is, you're performing that character. And just subtle movements like the way, the speed that you're moving or how you move in the shot, how long you linger in a certain spot you know, can convey a ton of emotion. And if you have a 3D game, like where you're placing the camera and the camera angles and all that kind of stuff can convey completely different emotions, you know, or a completely different way of looking at a shot or a scene, depending on where you, where it is too, right? So you have almost infinite control and that can be exhilarating and debilitating at times, right? Because there's so many different things that you can do, right? And so... It w- when we see gameplay footage during that during your trailers, that's you playing those games and recording it. Not always. Sometimes the developer will play it. Like uh, the good example of that is my friend Pedro. I mean, I, I I couldn't pull off some of those moves to save my life. So, <laughs> uh, so Victor, you know, obviously he made the game. He is amazing at playing it, and so he would send us these like one shot takes of him just annihilating this entire level just like beautifully. And that game was like a it was like watching ballet. I mean, honestly, and so like that's yeah. why we kind of had those trailers with like the sort of classical-ish music at the beginning, and it really was. It's like a, just a shooter ballet and so that's how we decided to approach that right but there's no way i could possibly play that game at the same level that he could and so rather than have me sit there for a month and a half trying to get good at it victor just pulled all the footage and sent it to us right but for other games i mean like fall guys is a good example like i'd be i captured all the footage for that i think for disc room i captured all the footage for that one 
Um, it really depends on the game and it's whether it's like of a small enough scale and it's a game that I could be good enough at to actually capture the footage. And something like Carry On, I think we had three or four different people capturing footage for that game because there was, we just needed such a volume of footage in different takes with different cadences and stuff. It would have just taken me way too long to do it all. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I want to take a, a, a trip back into uh, your childhood and talk about like some of your favorite games uh, growing up. Um, you said you're a Nintendo kid. Oh yeah. That that was it. Not no Genesis. No uh, oh, other systems. Genesis doesn't. No. Yes, no, it does. <laughs> Genesis does. No, Genesis doesn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. But what were some of your favorite? Do you have a game that you can think of that was like a really you loved this game, but was maybe not as popular as other ones? We all know Mario and stuff is popular. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe a title that you uh, you really loved, but nobody else did. Oh, that's a. Well, for NES, man, Solar Jetman. Did you ever play that oh, on the NES? No, I didn't. Man, that game, I love that game. It's basically like a, a very, very slow like planet exploration game where you're this little guy and you have this little spaceship and you crash on a planet and you have to find parts of your ship and all these different like little nooks and crannies and it's incredibly hard and punishing and i've been playing it lately on an emulator actually but that has save states so it's it's, yeah. it's helping a lot right as i never finished that as a kid but yeah that one was great for nes i mean the adventures of lolo i'm actually replaying through that on an emulator as well right now um i love that one um for super nintendo uh i think Star Fox has to be my absolute favorite snes game i have a giant Star Fox launch poster i have like a crazy Star Fox hat that i found on ebay and i've got like all this other weird Star Fox memorabilia kind of behind me because i just i love that game because it, it i remember when like it came out like 3d games like wolfenstein and like doom were just starting to come out on pc and I didn't have a PC back then. I was like, this is like the coolest 3D game ever. And like it ran at like 12 frames per second or whatever. But it just felt amazing, right? It was it was pretty mind-blowing, I remember, when it came out. Like that was like, wow, we'd never seen anything like this. The sound, the music, everything. And actually, I just was playing it the other day on the um, Nintendo Online uh, yeah. uh, platform there. Virtual console or whatever. And yeah, it is a lot of fun. Still a lot of fun. It is. I, I still love that game. And what's funny, it's like I remember like... When TV shows, when we used to watch shows on TV, like I could beat the entire game in half an hour. Like if you take the the, the middle route, like the easy route or whatever it is, it like if you don't die, it takes exactly 30 minutes. So I, I would start it at like 7 o'clock. I had a show I had to watch at 7.30. So I'd be like, okay, well, I'm just going to play Star Fox for half an hour. And I would finish the game and then I'd be able to watch my show afterwards. <laughs> oh, I would use it for, like as a time filler, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. It's hilarious. Um, so you know that uh, Special Reserve Games releases physical versions of, of Devolver games. We've done a number of titles, as I said at the beginning of this. Do you have a title that you would love to see released as a physical Special Reserve oh my that hasn't been done yet? Oh my gosh, that's a tough one. You know what? I, I think a Fall Guys physical thing would be so cool. We, you, could you could sell like a case that's like a giant squeezable Fall Guy thing, and then the, there's like a steam code that comes out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I believe that they are looking at doing some something for Fall Guys. Yeah. It's a it's a little different because Fall Guys is an online only game, That's right. so it, it it works a little bit differently than the other releases that they've had. But yeah, they are definitely looking at some kind of collector box for uh, for Fall Guys. I thought you were gonna say Dropsy. Oh my God, Dropsy would have been incredible. You know, I I never ended up getting one of those Dropsy plushies. It's just I I okay. I love that we are are in like 
Oh, I, I don't know how, like how it happened, but it's just you know, the the fact that we can have all this amazing physical merch for in such small runs, and it's so high quality, and that there's an audience to, of people to buy that kind of stuff. That blows my mind. I mean, when I think about to when I was a kid, I mean, the, you, none of this stuff could have existed, right? Because like the systems and like the, the, the manufacturing infrastructure just wasn't there to do things of this small scale, right? It had to be either yeah. 50 billion things or it's not happening, right? Well, it was Nintendo. Nintendo was the only thing putting out merch back then. Exactly. Right? That was pretty yeah. much it. Maybe some Genesis stuff, but not a ton. Yeah. It was all Nintendo. Um, so now these days, it's much. It's, and it also goes to help those independent uh, game creators, right? Because a good part of the proceeds go to them as well. Yeah. So. Oh, it, it's awesome. I mean, like my my eight year old son, like he is so into uh, uh, Among Us right now. And I mean, it's just like I went to their page, and they're just like, we're frantically working on merch. You know, <laughs> and it's amazing to see, like, like just all these smaller games. Like, I shouldn't call like Undertale a small game anymore, but you know, even it like was. Yeah, it was, yeah, but. Just like the amount of stuff for a game like that, it, it's amazing. And my son is just like eating it up, right? He just loves it. And I, I just think back to when I was a kid. It's like I, I couldn't have imagined being able to like, you know, own like an art print or just like a physical manifestation of like all these like smaller games. Like it, it would have just blown my mind. And I, I I wish I could see through his eyes how he how he sort of sees all this stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's just normal to him, but it's not normal, yeah. normal to me to see all like all this amazing stuff out there. I love it. Well, I think it's great. It, yeah, it's 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 not normal to see uh, um, like just a, the volume of independent games that are being made um, because that's something that's something we had growing up, right? We had just the official like Nintendo big the big uh, titles, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, the merchandise. Um, one thing about Among Us, I think, is interesting is that that game it's a couple years old now, yeah. right? It was made, I think, in, in 2018. So that just shows you that it, it does. Even if the game doesn't hit right away, it may hit later. Like it, yeah. there could be, it could at any time become super popular and just just become a huge hit like that that one did because <laughs> they were obviously weren't ready for it, right? Yeah, obvious. I mean, like who? This is the thing. <laughs> who would have known? And it's like you know, I I. If you would have asked me to put money on something like that happening these days, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have won that bet. You know, like it, I think it's exceedingly rare that these kind of things are happening, but it is still happening. Like who knows? Who knows what can be like found these days? And this is the thing: there's so many games coming out all of the time. There are these hidden gems in there that just are amazing games that just need to be played, and they just need to find that right audience. And that's a perfect example of that happening. Like that game's success is absolutely unbelievable, and to have it happen. Two years after launch, I, I think is almost unheard of. Like, I can't think of any other examples, at least recently, where that kind of thing has happened, right? It, it's unbelievable. It's super cool. Like, my kids are playing Among Us at recess at school right now. <laughs> it's, like, it's crazy. It's crazy. They should... They should play it in real life. Yeah, I want to see a real life version of Among Us where they actually go around sabotaging. Well, it's, they were make they were drawing like they cut up a cardboard box, and my my son was making like a fake like the the schematic documents, and he made like a fake wallet so he could like swipe the card back and forth, and fake little iPads so they could look at the map, and they were all playing with each other outside this weekend. It was amazing. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's That's crazy. Awesome. It's nuts. Well, Kurt, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It's great to uh, to talk to you and uh, get your insight into all these awesome trailers that you've made. You do incredible work. Oh, thank you very much. This is great. Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. This episode brought to you by Fetch. Give the gift of play. Fetch is a game for dogs. What is it? It's a ball. 
We have large and small, depending on your dog's preference or maybe their physical size. But while everyone is sheltering in place and hanging out with some social distancing, your dog is going through this too. So your dog might want a little game to play and heck, you might want a game to play with your dog. So how about a fun, safe, slightly minty taste ball do you know that personally have you have you checked that out and tested that yeah the the ball does have a minty uh smell and it does have a slight minty flavor hey if my dog was going to chew on it and i love my dog i at least had to taste it once right just to see but uh you know fetch is on sale currently at specialreservegames.com if you buy a game of fetch for twenty dollars and that includes free shipping in the united states we at Special Reserve will match that ball, giving one to another dog, a dog that's in need, a dog that's in a shelter that's been rescued. We work with an organization called Street Dog Project here in Dallas, Texas, where they rescue dogs that are in dire physical need, and then they rehab them and help get them fostered and hopefully eventually adopted out. So every single time someone buys a game of fetch for $20, you get a ball and a dog that's homeless, and dire physical need that's being fostered and sheltered also gets a ball. So why not give a game of fetch today? Go to specialreservegames.com, buy a game of fetch or two for your dog, and share the gift of play. Mm, and you're right, this this is minty. Okay, we're less than a week away from Halloween, and if you're anything like me, you've done absolutely nothing in terms of costume prep. I know what you're saying, Dan, there's a pandemic on right now, no one is going to Halloween parties this year or even going into work. I don't need a costume. And you may be right, but wouldn't it be cool to show up for that Zoom meeting on Friday in a Halloween costume? All you need is to dress up from the shoulders up, and you can brighten your coworkers' days and express your Halloween spirit at that virtual party you've been thinking of blowing off. Here are my top five easy video game costumes for a socially distanced Halloween. Number five. This one largely depends on your hair color, but I suppose you could find a cheap wig, dark, messy hair, a gi top with the sleeves ripped off, well, any white shirt will do, and a red headband, and your Ryu from Street Fighter. Now, if you have longer dark hair, there's a chance people will think you're Rambo, but just practice those Hadoukens, and there should be no confusion. Hadouken! Number four. want a super easy costume that also makes a not-so-subtle statement about being a mindless drone with no free will, be a sim. All you need is the iconic green plum bob. There are plenty of printable patterns online. Just attach it to a hairband or a wire coat hanger shaped to fit your head and you're good to go. Don't forget to speak in simlish all day long. People are going to love that. Oops. Zombo Skiba. Zuba Tube. Love a Zuby. Uh, <laughs> Number three. My 
Minecraft characters are super easy to make. You just need a squarish cardboard box, some paint and scissors. You can be Steve, a zombie, a creeper, or even a scary Enderman. All of these characters are instantly recognizable and you'll have the added bonus of your face being hidden so you can grab a few Zs during that policy meeting. Number two. can't have a video game costume list without Mario, and it's pretty easy. You just need a mustache and a red plumber's hat. Come to think of it, I don't think I've ever seen a plumber wear anything close to the uniform that the Mario Brothers wear. In any case, if you don't want to drop the $20 on a Mario hat at Spirit Halloween, you can pretty much use any hat thanks to Super Mario Odyssey. In that game, Mario has dozens of outfits and hats to choose from, so recycle that Village People costume and be Police Officer Mario or Cowboy Mario or even construction worker Mario. You just need to make some paper cartoon eyes to represent Cappy, and voila. Oh, make sure your mustache isn't too short. We wouldn't want people to think you were some sort of infamous dictator or anything. It's me, Mario. Number one. there's no denying that Among Us has been the game of the season. Everyone's playing it, everyone's calling emergency meetings and accusing each other of being the imposter. And dressing up as one of those cute colorful little spacemen has never been easier. Just find a solid colored red hoodie or yellow or cyan or any of the 14 colors available in the game. Then pull the hood up over your head, tighten it around your face and put on some large ski goggles. For added effect, coordinate with your friends and co-workers to create a group costume, then spend all day kicking each other out of your Zoom meetings. Again? FGTV came out of the vent! No, no, no! Amber oh, came out the vent! You came out of the vent and then you like beat it. into the emergency so there are some last minute costume ideas for you. If you've got any to add to the list, let us know by leaving a voice message through the link in the show notes or simply reply to a special reserve games on your favorite social media platform. Happy Halloween. That's going to do it for another episode of Games You Deserve. Big thanks to Kurt Gardner for joining us today, and thank you for leaving us a five-star review. It really helps our podcast grow. Until next time, game over.